be sharing with you next Sunday. But we really feel like God has stirred us up. You know, coming uh, coming back from Philippines and Cambodia, related to who we are as a church here, what we're doing as a church here, and really want to express that, not only this Sunday and next. So if you're related to somebody or friends with somebody or somehow connected with somebody who you know is not here, you know, feel free to encourage them. You know, hey, check into the podcast the next couple of weeks and, uh, and just kind of, you know, hear, hear what, what we're expressing uh, from, I believe, from God's heart. I, I know it's from our heart, and I believe God downloaded that uh, from His heart. So uh, I want to share with you, I like the yellow color there. Uh, that's just a temporary thing. Uh, so the, the expression that I'm going to share with you this morning might not make sense right away. Uh, but I'd like to do a two-parter and express it this way, kingdom builder bust. And I think that when you look at that expression, kingdom builder bust, you probably get the kingdom build right away. You might not get the or bust part. So I want to I extrapolate it just a little bit. But kingdom build, you know, we're talking about building the kingdom and the need to build the kingdom and the opportunity to build the kingdom. Uh, to, to, to see what God is, is, is all about in heaven and to communicate that on this earth. So to pray that whatever's happening in heaven is expressed here on this earth, to see the kingdom come down uh, to the earth upon which we live. But that whole or bust thing, uh, I, you might or might not know that expression. Um, so I want to kind of give a little bit of a feel for that. And Ryan helped me with this. Ryan and I were on the phone yesterday. And, and you know, I'm just saying to him, I want to express this kingdom builder bust and, and uh, you know, what does that mean to you? And he was sharing with me uh, about this picture right here. I don't know if you can see that very well, but uh, back in the 1930s when drought and the Great Depression were hitting the U.S., uh, there were all these people from Oklahoma who had kind of gone out to get land and build their homes and all of that there. And it just was all going bust. It was like, they were going broke, they were going bankrupt. And then they started hearing about in places like Oregon and particularly California, about a gold rush, about you know people finding gold and people rushing out there to find that gold. So literally people were putting banners on, you know, like those wagons, those covered wagons, you know, there and these kind of old cars and all. And they were putting signs out there, California or bust, or Oregon or bust. And, and, and the whole expression was as if to say, you know what, there's nothing for us here. There's everything for us there. So if we stay here, we're going bust, we're going bankrupt, we're going broke, okay? So we're going to put everything in to going out there where the opportunities seem to be a little better than the opportunities that are here for us here. So really what they're saying is, we're going to go there or there's nothing for us. Like, you know, we're going to put everything in. So any money that they had left, uh, they were like, we're going to use it to get out to that place and see what we have out there. So when we say kingdom build robust, what we're saying is, is that building the kingdom is really all, all of our opportunity, that we really don't have any opportunities other than uh, to build the kingdom. So the point of the message that, that I want to share with you today, after returning from our experience in the Philippines and Cambodia, is, is this. I am determined more than ever in my life to just put everything I have into the kingdom of heaven. 
and see the kingdom of heaven established here on this earth, and not just in my life, but I believe also for, for our experience together as a church family, as an embassy church, just to say, you know what? It's really gotta be about kingdom building, and if not, it's a bust. It's, it's like, it really, we're bankrupt. Uh, we're going broke if we, uh, if we don't invest everything that we can possibly invest in the kingdom of God. So that's where I'm going. And I want to tell you, I want to give you a warning about how I'm going to start going there this morning. I'm going to start on a depressing note, okay? I'm going to make a statement that when you hear it at first, it, it, it sounds really depressing. But let me make this statement, and then let me go from there. The statement I'm going to make is this. Life has no purpose. I told you, I warned you, right? I warned you. I'm going to start with a negative statement. And I'm going to say that you actually can read that in the Bible. Did you know that you can read that statement in the Bible? It's said a little bit differently, but in essence it's saying life has no purpose. Maybe you're thinking about where, if you're very familiar with the Bible, it's in the Old Testament in a book called Ecclesiastes. And uh, it's right in the first chapter where it begins to talk about this. And if you're familiar with Ecclesiastes, it was written by... Uh, an individual who was known as the wisest man on the planet. At that time, people would travel from all over the world to come and hear his wisdom. And in, in, in his book, written, uh, called Ecclesiastes, the first chapter, uh, verse number two, he, he, said, he said this, everything is meaningless. Now, it's obvious that I gave you the warning I was going to start with a depressing note. And it's obvious that I'm really depressing my grandson over there. Can you hear him crying? He's like, oh, that's no purpose. He's miserable, okay? But it says there, everything is meaningless. So you think about it. Other than Jesus, there's no greater philosopher in the Bible than this one called Solomon. And Solomon reasoned to say this. You live and then you die, and it's all over. And it's not just you who dies, it's your family who dies. And you can look to religion to try and give you meaning, but it really doesn't give you a promise beyond that. So there's really no meaning, and it's interesting because we just got to spend a week in a country that is really influenced heavily by a philosophy called Buddhism, okay? And I got to know a Buddhist monk, a, a, a gentleman who's been a, who was a Buddhist monk for 10 years. And it was really interesting because never I've met, you know, leaders of all different types of religions, but I've never been able to sit down with a Buddhist monk before. And we actually became friends, and he gave me something to read, I gave him a Bible to read, and we agreed that when we see each other next year, when we do stuff on Facebook, that we're gonna correspond about what I'm reading, what he's reading, so I'm gonna read some of his stuff, he's gonna read the Bible, it's a good agreement, and uh, cause I'll, I'll get more acclimated to where, where, where all of that is coming from. Uh, really what I, what, it, what he's asked me to read, I've already read years ago, but it'll be interesting to read again for his sake. Uh, just to make that agreement with him. So here's the deal. The more I talked to him, I kept asking him, because I had studied Buddhism, I knew what it was about, uh, but hearing from an individual who, who was 10 years in training as a Buddhist monk, and I just kept asking, like, is there an explanation for how we got here? 
not a man of suffering. There's so much wisdom that you could find in Buddhism about just how to live life and, 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 and you know, navigate through these things. And when you're in a Buddhist culture, you can recognize that people are kind to each other because of their Buddhist philosophy. And it's really, you know, it's really interesting to see all that. But then you get really deep in, and I kept asking him, so how did we get here? Like, if, if there's really not an understanding of God creating us and all of that, then where did we come from? And he just looked at me like, he, he was at a loss. He couldn't quite really explain it. And, and then uh, I asked him, I said, well, do you know anything about Jesus? And, and he, he kind of looked with a blank stare at me, and I said, how about the Bible? And he looked with a blank stare. My heart was breaking. I was like, I want him to know Jesus. I want him to know the Bible and, and that there's more answers than what he's been told. Uh, but I wasn't just interested in the past. I was interested in the future. So I started asking him, so what happens then to you? Like, all right, so there might be reincarnation and you might come and learn more and then you come back in a different way, in a different way, in a different way, and eventually you'll get it. And so we kept pressing about this. And then he was explaining to me that the end result is that at some point, he's going to reach this utopian state, nirvana, and he's going to come into a place where there'll be no birth, no death whatsoever. And I pressed him on this, and I kept, you know, because I, I, I knew, you know, things intellectually, but again, this is my chance to talk to him personally about it. And so we're talking, and, and it, it essentially was saying to me that he gets to a place of kind of non-existence. And I just thought about the revelation of the Bible, that God loves us and that Jesus was sent by the Father and the Father gave his son so that we could be with him forever. There's not an obliteration of our personality. There's not a, an obliteration of our personhood. There's not an amalgamating of who we are into the universe. We, we, we are who we are for all eternity and God's desire is for us to be with him for all eternity. So I saw this beautiful, beautiful promise that is throughout the scripture an explanation of where we came from, but also where we're going and that God's intent in all that is to be in relationship with us personally, individually, each one of us for all eternity. And I thought, what a promise that we have in the Lord Jesus. But here, um, Solomon is saying what the world could agree with him about, and that is that life is meaningless, okay? This great philosopher recognizing, what is it all for if we die? What if it's for if, if, if we die and then our family dies and eventually all of humanity dies? And, and what, what, what will it all been for? So this whole thing is life has no purpose, and that's in the Bible. Here's what it says. It says life is meaningless. That's verse 2. In verse 3 it says, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and go. Verse 8, all things are wearisome, more than one can say. Verse 11, no, no one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered, but those who follow him. So life has no purpose. But the, the key to understanding Ecclesiastes is that Solomon is talking about apart from God. Life has no purpose. If God doesn't explain your existence, then nothing does, essentially. Here's the way Mark Driscoll said it. He said, speaking of Ecclesiastes, while the book's emphasis on life as meaningless is dark, there's also a clue not to be missed. This is the 
perspective of life, quote, under the sun, unquote. The phrase under the sun appears roughly 29 times in Ecclesiastes, depending on which translation you read. It means life viewed solely without a connection to God or revelation from God. It's literally a godless life lived solely by our limited insights, gleaned solely by our experience without any word from God on the matter. So the statement, life is meaningless, is a true statement under the sun. In other words, from a perspective apart from God, without an explanation, a revelation from God of where we came from and where we're going and what the purpose of all this is. Mark Driscoll went on to say this, according to Ecclesiastes, the evolutionary chart in school fooled us into believing that history is a straight line going up and we are more advanced than those primitive people who came before us. That's what evolution shapes us to believe, is that we're evolving from low thinking into high complex thinking and it's always progressing. He said the truth is that history is really a circle, a cul-de-sac to be more exact. One generation after another drives around that cul-de-sac Worshipping their idol, trying to outdo their neighbor with more sex, more stuff, more power, more information, and more fame. As fools often do, we mistake movement for progress. With brutal honesty about this fact, Ecclesiastes feels more like a punch in the gut than a kiss on the lips. One more par paragraph from, from, from uh, Driscoll. Thus far, Solomon has gotten our souls hungry for even a morsel of hopeful good news. However, it's not to be found here, quote, under the sun, unquote. We have to stop, start looking elsewhere. Perhaps above the sun, beyond the world in which we live, there is another world in which God lives. Maybe he could come down and bring hope and meaning with him, possibly even inviting us to join him one day in his home above the sun. Perhaps there he could reward us for all our vain efforts under the sun so that we were not, so that our lives were not meaningless. That would make our meaningless lives meaningful. So in God, our life has purpose. And I want us to focus this morning on exactly what that purpose is. We have explanations, but as far as living our lives, what is the purpose of our lives? Here's the purpose. The words of Jesus. After he lived his life on this earth, brought us the fullest revelation of God, not just in word, but in deed. Died on the cross to imprint that revelation upon us and affect that revelation upon us rose from the dead to seal the deal, not only for himself, but also for all of us, he said these words. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what Jesus said, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And the thing that I wanna make this morning that I hope will ring, 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 not only through the rest of your day, but your days to come is this. If you're not doing this, 
If you're not doing this, specific activity that Jesus has called you to do, and as blatant as this statement can be, I'll often say it, your life has no purpose. If you're not involved in this activity of making disciples of all nations, what are you really living for? Because Jesus told us that there are essentially three reasons to live. And I'm going to boil them down into two, but the second one I'm going to break into two parts. So of those two statements, that he made, he said that really the purpose of life, the reason for our existence on this dying planet, and I love this planet, but the reality is that this planet is not going to last. And so that's where the meaningless comes from. So in a meaningless environment, without God, apart from God, what can we give our lives, what can we give our lives to that has meaning? And Jesus answered when he said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Why? Because the earth passes away, but God is eternal. And when you love God, you're, you're investing your heart, your mind, your, your, your life into something that, that, that has purpose, true, lasting existence that, that is ultimate purpose. So Jesus said the first thing is to love God. And we love God, why? Because God first loved us. We don't love God because we're commanded to. We're loved, we love God because it's the proper response to God's love for us. First John chapter five says that we love, first John chapter four, I'm sorry, the first letter of John chapter four says we love God because he first loved us. But the second reason for our existence, the second reason for us to live is to love people. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Why are we called to love people? People can be hard to love for two reasons. Number one, because God loves people. And number two, because God sets us an example of how we can love people, even love lovable people, even enemies. And so again, we come back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Because when you're making disciples of all nations, you're teaching people what Jesus has taught you to love God and to love one another. So you're establishing the kingdom of God, a, a totally alien culture to the earth. Jesus came and brought a revolution with him. He didn't do it with guns. He didn't do it with tanks. He didn't do it with a sword. But he brought a revolution. His message was revolutionary. The world is all about fighting. The world is all about, you know, um, sinning and all those things. We're, we're going to upset that, 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 uh, the very nature of the world. And, and we're going to do it by establishing the kingdom of God back here on the earth. So we, we're called to live differently than others, to love God differently than others, to love people differently than others. But I want to say, I said three things because there's really two categories of people that Jesus divided us into. And those two categories, when he said love one another as I have loved you, he was saying something different than love your neighbor as yourself. Because people are really divided into two categories. Those people who know the love of God and those people who don't know the love of God. 
Those people who know that God is a good, good Father who has called them in a relationship and given His own Son, Jesus, to sacrifice everything in order to bring them into that relationship. That's the ultimate love story. And there's either those people on the planet who know that love story and have responded affirmatively to it, or those who don't have not yet responded affirmatively to it. So in other words, we're talking about loving those people who are in God's family and loving those people who are not in God's family and inviting them in to the family of God. Now, why am I making that distinction between two types of people? And it's for this reason. There are three activities that have ultimate purpose in this life. Loving God, loving people who don't know the love of God, and loving people who do know the love of God. Of those three activities, two activities we'll be able to do in heaven for all eternity. One of those three activities we can only do right now in this moment on this earth. For all eternity, I'm going to be able to love God and I'm going to be able to love the family of God and invite people into the family of God. But when this life is over, people will have made the decision. People will have either chosen God or not chosen God. People have decided to seek God or not seek God. And the beautiful news is from the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, anyone who seeks God with all their heart will find God. And it's a beautiful way that God makes himself available to people. But we need to recognize that God didn't create people to be robots. He gave them a chance to respond to him or not, to reach out to him or not. He's constantly reaching out to us in a myriad of ways. And, and yet it's up to us to respond to him, to reach back out to him. And, and what's interesting is, is that once that decision is made, that decision is made. And then it's eternity. So in eternity, we get to love God forever. We get to love the family of God forever. But it's only now in this life do we get to, to, to love those who are outside of the family of God and invite them into the family of God. Now, before I go on, I just want to see if you're following me or if you're like, no, I, 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 I daydreamed. I, I, I didn't catch where you were going. And I, I got lost about five minutes ago. Um, are you with me? Are you with me? Yeah? So if there are three ultimate reasons to live on this dying planet, and only one of those three is something that you could do in this life only, and then for all eternity you can carry on the first and the second, then there's two things you can come to a conclusion about. We're here for that third reason. If, if we didn't have that third reason, we could go to heaven right away. There'd be no need, like, there'd be nothing to do here, you know? We, we would just be like, okay, get us to heaven. We're gonna love God for all eternity. We're gonna love one another for all eternity. And that's why Jesus has not yet come back yet. Jesus fulfilled all promise, pro, prophecies about his first coming. And there were hundreds of them written, hundreds of years before he came to fulfill every one of them in great detail. And he came, but he also gave us prophecies about his second coming. And he hasn't come back yet. And in the, in the book of 1 Peter, some Christians were looking back and saying, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? And Peter answered them by the Holy Spirit and said, it's because God is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. 
God wants us all to have every possible opportunity and encouragement to make that decision to come in a relationship with Him. So in this life, we, we have a purpose other than making money and paying bills, as important as that is, to make money and pay bills. We have a greater purpose than all of those things, and that is to make disciples of all nations. And I just want to say this to you. I'm, I'm excited about this all the time. If you've known me for any period of time, you know that. Like the thing that jazzes me the, the, more than anything else is the seek of somebody come to know Jesus. See somebody grow in their relationship with Jesus and know that that's going on for all eternity. But I just want you to know, and maybe, maybe this is a warning for you, that, that like great desire that I have just increased, okay? There, the, the reality is going on a missions trip, like Carol said, it places our lives in perspective. Because I don't know about you, but like sometimes life just gets regular. It's just like, okay, we're gonna wake up and do the same thing, you know? And and you kind of get locked into, you know, just the busyness of life and, and the requirements of life of making sure the taxes are paid, making sure the mortgage and rent, all those things are taken care of, making sure that the family is all taken care of. And all of those things are important. But it's interesting that when you go on a missions trip, you have a perspective that is, is so much more acute. It's like you're, you're just more laser focused on really what's going on in the world. The, the reality is, and I think that that's even more acute for Americans. And I, I, I don't want to put us in a class that we have to feel uncomfortable about, but there's poverty in this country. But because of the safety nets, you know, that have happened here, you know, since the 1920s or 30s and things like that, there's, there's poverty is different in other places. And, and I, I know that some of you are saying, I'm glad that you're recognizing that, Mr. American, you grew up here your whole life. Like, I grew up in places where, you know, we've seen a lot of poverty. But anytime that I go anywhere and I just see, and I start talking to people about like, I don't know, like, how I'm going to put my kids in school. Americans don't think like that for the most part. Like, I, I, I didn't grow up thinking about that. Everyone goes to school. If, if, there's, if there's a financial need, you just go to the emergency room. Or you've got some type of, of social security. Like, you've got something that's there for you. And when you start talking to people that, that, that are like, what? We don't even know what that's about. Like we 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 didn't we, we would we would never be able to relate to that. Like that there's somebody that actually can help us to pay for our kids to go to school or to get us an education and things like that. I mean, when you're in places and you see this kind of desperation, you know, in, in, on, on some people's part, but it's not just material need, it's spiritual need. When you get off a plane and you get in a cab with somebody. And you start talking to them about Jesus, and they've never heard the name Jesus. Never heard the name Jesus. I don't, I don't know if there's anyone who was born and raised in this country that never heard the name Jesus. And it just boggles my mind that there are places throughout the planet where people have never heard the name Jesus. They don't even know there is a Bible. We're challenging people to read the Bible. 
through their cell device or whatever. That, you know, and we're talking about people who have no access to the Bible whatsoever. And when you start, you know, recognizing the, the, the spiritual need, the material need of people around you, and then you start realizing, I mean, Caroline, like, we just, we were like, what? When we found out how much it cost to take a pastor from a place where there's no gospel preached and bring him to a place in Phnom Penh, Cambodia and train him. Carol, was it $200 a year? $300? Yeah. Philippines, $200 a year. I think it might even have been a little bit less in Cambodia. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. If we give $200, we could train a pastor that's going to go into a village that has never heard the gospel before and start a church. Like at some point I started, I, I was like, how can we go home and live more simply? How can we, how can we live not as busy? How can we live less expensively? Like, and we don't live extravagantly. Like if you come to our house, our whole family lives together. We have three generations under one roof and we all, we all pitch in. Like we're, we're you gotta get creative sometimes, you know? In, in different ways, in different places, especially DC, you gotta you gotta figure out how to do this, you know, expense thing, right? And I'm still coming back, going, you know what? How can we live less? Like, how can we? Like, there's nothing really that matters except for just making, like, bringing people to Jesus and having them know eternal life. Is there anything else? You know, I just want to encourage you. If, if you if you want to, like, if you're saying, well, Dave, you just had that perspective, and I'm. I'm, I'm going to work tomorrow. I just got off work like 12 midnight. Like, I, we work like hours every day in D.C. and all that. I don't know how I'm ever going to get a chance. I'm just going to encourage you. You know what? Go to Cambodia with us next year if you can. Go to the Philippines with us next year. But if you can't go to the Philippines or Cambodia, go to Columbia Heights with us the second Saturday of the month. Like, go, go with Winnie to Washington Harbor and, and witness with her. She's out there pretty much every week on a Saturday. And she's sharing Jesus with people that are coming from countries like Saudi Arabia where they've never heard anything about Jesus. And I'm like, that's purpose. That's that's like that's that's a, like a reason to live for that. And I'm saying, you know, you know, you might look and go, well, my job is different than your job. You get to give yourself to ministry full time. Well, then possibly consider your job differently. Possibly consider, you know, God, how can you open up doors? of opportunity on my job, so I'm not just making a living, but maybe I'm making a friendship that will turn into somebody becoming a disciple of Jesus so that they can go to heaven for all eternity. And, and maybe the, the, the resources that you provide for me there, I can invest those resources in the kingdom of God. Jason, can I pitch on you a little bit? Can I just tell about your, your, your text messages? Jason was like, he was disturbing me with text messages this, this summer. And, and, and that sounds negative, but it was very positive. It, like, I loved how thoughtful he was in the middle of his travels to text me. And I'm like, this is so cool. Jason's texting me from, you know, where are we, Peru and some places. And, and, he's, and he's showing me pictures of people and he goes, man, I'm looking at where, where people live and, and I'm hearing people's stories. And, 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 and at some point when we're, when we're out there, like on a mission, the question is, are we on a mission? And, and if we're on a mission, we'll see, like, it doesn't matter if we're working a nine to five, same old, same old. We're going to start seeing it for the sake of the kingdom. We're going to start saying, 
Kingdom Builder bust. Like, Kingdom Builder go broke. Kingdom Builder go bankrupt. Like, like at some point, you just got to invest everything that we have in, in the work of God. Somehow, someway, what we're doing with our lives has to translate into the work of God. I'm looking back and seeing my brother Lucy back there, and I'm watching him play, and I'm thinking, this guy is way smarter than I am. Like, the way his brain works is on levels that my brain doesn't work. The guy's working on his PhD in economics, he went through already two master's degrees in, in finance and economics, all these things, and I'm like, dude, this guy's brain is working for all that stuff, and he can see that as, you know, this is for me. But I just watched him clap saying, what I'm doing has to translate into the kingdom of God. Like at some point, what we're doing is not lasting. But the kingdom of God is what it's really all about. So just look at the example of Jesus. Look at this next slide. Jesus lived his life on this earth on a mission. He wouldn't have it any other way. This is what he said. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He said, I have made known your name, Father, to them, and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. He said, for the Son of Man, speaking about himself, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus came here on a mission, and he stuck to the mission. And I just want to ask you this. How about you? How about your life? How about how you're living it? How about, you know, how you're spending your time? How you're spending, investing your talents, investing your treasure? Because you're either on a mission or you're missing the whole point. Thanks for sticking with me. And if you're missing the whole point, you might as well just admit life is a mess, okay? And I'm gonna give you an example, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna pick on somebody, okay? I just, I just spent two weeks in Philippines and Cambodia. Do you know what traffic is like in Philippines and Cambodia? Do you have any idea what it's like? There's pretty much no lights, like stoplights, go lights, it's just, there's, there's pretty much no stop signs. And I would think, coming from where I have been enculturated on the roads, that that would be like horrible. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I would way rather drive my car, or a motorcycle, or even a bicycle, in the Philippines or Cambodia than, than in Washington, D.C. And I'm not, I'm not telling you because I'm like some adventurer. I, I am a little crazy, okay? I like to do crazies. I like, you know, but it's not because of that. I feel safer there. And by the way, there's way too many vehicles on the road there. Way too many. Like, it's hard to imagine how many bicycles, mopeds, you know, scooters, vehicles, you know, of all sorts are on one road at one time. It was like, like everybody on the planet is right here on this corner, right here. It's like they're all there at the same time, and they're all coming from different angles, and you're like, oh, I mean, I have videos to show.
show you, like it's like there's way too many vehicles on these roads. But I feel safe on those roads in here. You know why? Those people have a perspective that we don't have here. They just go with the flow. They just go with the flow. And I started asking, why, why aren't there more accidents here? Why is there zero road rage? I've been to the Philippines now for three weeks total. I've been to Cambodia for one week total, and I've been to other places like this. And I've yet to see one incident of road rage. I, I've been home just a, a week, and I've seen three incidents of road rage in Washington, D.C. metro area. Not the worst that I've seen before, but like kind of like, like somebody, somebody gave me a really bad expression, okay? with their face and their hands, okay? And I thought I was being nice to this person. Like, I thought they were going to go, so I let them go. And, and when they went by me, they were like, oh, I and I'm like, sorry. It never happened in the Philippines. It never happens there. And so I'm wondering, what's the difference? And I thought, maybe it's, maybe, you know, it's a very Catholic country in the Philippines. And there's a lot of evangelical Christianity here. It's a major. And I'm thinking, maybe it's that influence of Christianity, but I'm thinking there's a whole lot less of that in in, uh, in Cambodia. It's mostly a Buddhist country. Something maybe it's the the, the 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 respect that is taught in Buddhism or the respect that's taught in Christianity. Maybe it's that. And then I thought, no, I don't think it's either one. Maybe that has some some something to do with it. But I, then I thought, you know, I think it's a lot of honor that these are honor cultures, and they haven't forgotten the whole thing about honoring one another and and all of those kind of things. But then I thought, you know what? I think it's even more than that. I think it not only has to do with philosophy and maybe some religion stuff and all, I think it has to do a little with economics. I think the people there, they have a little perspective that maybe we've lost a little bit because we've gotten a little spoiled. And we have so much that when we don't get one thing we don't want, we get so upset. And they're just like, you know what? What difference does it make? So they have this expression in the Philippines, and it's without words, and it's this. And all you Filipinos will laugh. When I, you'll know exactly what I'm saying. Here's the expression. That's the expression. And it simply means, you go. It's okay. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to give you the finger. I'm not going to give you a bad expression. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to have road rage or anything like that. And I saw a different expression in Cambodia, but the same thing. The point that I'm making here is, if you're not on a mission, you're missing the whole point. And if you're missing the whole point, really it just it turns out to be a mess. And so here I've come back and I've seen attitudes as I've, I've come home and I kind of contrast that with what's going on. And I think, you know, there's a difference between just trying to survive and then trying to get, you know, the, the biggest house, the biggest this, and all of that. At some point we need to go, you know what, what really matters? Here's what Mark Driscoll said at the end of that Bible study that I read from you before. He said, if you are a Christian, ask yourself this. How does your view of the meaning of life differ from non-Christians you know? And I just want to challenge you, Christian, if you need to be challenged this morning. Not because I'm picking on you, just because I love you, I love me, I love us all. We've got we've to hear the truth. If... If your worldview, if your view of the meaning of life is no different than non-Christians you know, do you need to think a little more seriously about the call of God that Jesus has in your life? 
So I want to say this, and then I want us to kind of do something together. It's important to ask yourself, am I on a mission? And I want you to ask that. I want you to ask that with every fiber of your being. Am I on a mission? Okay? But I also want you to know that's not just a, a question for you individually. That's a, that's a question for us collectively. And we have to ask this question. Is our church on a mission? Are our family members on a mission? A mission beyond just us taking care of each other. But loving those people, we won't be able to love once we're in heaven. They won't be with us. We want, we want, we have an opportunity to love them now in the kingdom. And that's gotta be the driving, like, impetus of our lives. So we need to ask, even our God encounters, are we just doing them because that's what we do? Or are we doing them to make disciples of all nations? Are we, are we, are we doing our family groups to make disciples to reach the reach, but also the unreached? To love those in the family of God, but also to love those outside of the family of God. That should be the purpose of every one of our, of our ministries. I'm just going to say two statements and then I'll wrap up. If I'm not giving my life to building the kingdom of heaven on earth, then I am wasting my life. I'm just being honest. I'm wasting my life. But also, if we as a church are not giving our lives to building the kingdom of heaven here on this earth, then I, I would say this, we're wasting our time coming to 3855 Massachusetts Avenue Northwest on a regular basis, Sunday after Sunday. I just want to challenge us. I want us to be purposeful more than we've ever been before. Kingdom builder lust. Build a kingdom or just forget it. Put it all, everything that we have into that. Now next week, you might go, well, we didn't hear some details about the trip. We have pictures and videos that Carol and I are gonna share you next week. You're gonna love next week. It's gonna be lots of fun. I'm not saying you haven't loved this week, but you're gonna love seeing the pictures, hearing the videos and all that. But for this week, I want you to just take a picture of that or just write that down. And I want you to take this with you. Ask yourself, this overall question, and then ask yourself these three parts of the question. The first one is, are you on a mission? That's the old, that's the overall question. But I want to break that down into three areas. Are you investing your time in your mission? If so, how are you investing your time in your mission? If not, Please be courageous enough to ask yourself, what is stopping you from doing so? And write it down. Like identify it. Let's get real, let's get serious with how we're living our lives. The second one is, are you investing your treasure in your mission? And if so, how? If not, what is stopping you from doing so? And the third is, are you investing your talent your talents in your mission. So how, if not, what is stopping you from doing so? And that's that's a, that's a kind of a, a neat little way, a memorable way, your time, your talent, your treasure. But what we're talking about is how we're living our lives, and how we're spending our money, and how we're investing the gift.
gifts that God has given to us. And, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Father, I, I, I've never loved my life more than I love it now. Because I don't just get to be happily married and all that. We get to have kids, and then we get to have grandkids. But the reality is, is that if my kids and my grandkids don't go to heaven, what's it all for? If I don't go to heaven, it, it will have come to nothing. And so, Lord, I want to live for heaven. I want to live for the kingdom. And I want to see, Lord, my family, all my friends. With you, God, for all eternity. But God, when I think about my church family, I, I just think, you know, with such affection, also honor because I believe that there are true disciples of yours in this fellowship and I pray if there's anyone who's not yet become a true disciple of yours as they would and it would be awesome but Lord I just, I just believe that we're all very serious about you Jesus and we, we know what really matters But Lord, from my perspective, it's one thing to know what really matters, and it's another thing to live that out. And so I pray for the same grace for my sisters and my brothers that I'm praying for myself today. Help me in no way to waste my life, in no way to waste the time that you've given to me, the talents that you've given me, the treasure that you've given to me. Help me not to waste a dime or a moment or Lord, please help me to live for what really matters, God. God, I pray that my life would make a difference in Washington, D.C. I pray that my life would make a difference in Cambodia and Philippines. And I pray that, Lord, our lives would make a difference in Peru, God, and all the places that you've opened up to us, God. I pray, I pray that our church would make a difference on Embassy Row. I pray that our church would make a difference among the nations that are surrounding us and in, in this capital city of the United States of America. I pray, Lord, that our church will make a difference in how we pray, and how we, you know, build the kingdom through prayer, build the kingdom through evangelism, bring the, build the kingdom through discipleship. Father, I pray that you would allow us to go way beyond we ever could have imagined going in impacting this world for your kingdom. And I pray that as we grow in in greater quantity and greater quality, Lord, that you would protect us from pride, that you would protect us from thinking that we are doing the building, Lord. That's that's where we fall into error uh, of, of practice and, and, and moral issues and all of it, and divisive things and all of that. Father, I pray that you would protect us so that even, even when we are larger than we are, we would still be the same a beautiful community of both quality and, and, in, and in holiness in every way, Father. 
God, I pray that you would watch over us. But Lord, we are saying to you right now, we want to be a greater impact church. We thank you for what you've done through us already. But we want to do much more for your kingdom. We know what really matters. And God, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would make us a kingdom-building church in this city and around the world, Father. Lord, I thank you, God, for the lives that have been influenced. I thank you for the people that have been reached for you and that have been given a church home, Lord, that has blessed them and helped them to grow and all of that. I thank you for everything that you've already done. But, but Lord, for the sake of this world and for the sake of eternity, Lord, we want much more, God. Father, let our lives count more. Let our church count more in every way, God. Lord, please let this prayer be, be, be sincere and humble, God. Let us not be after any type of self-aggrandizement or any type of self-promotion. Lord, we know that it's not about us. Lord, we come and go as humans, but your kingdom is forever. So, Lord, we, we want to we build your kingdom in this city. We want to build your kingdom in this world. Lord, would you hear our prayer, and would you let our prayer be more incessant, more fervent, God? Lord, would you allow us all to, to respond to this call, God, first through prayer, and then, Lord, by obeying what you call us to do, Father. God, we pray that, that you would resource us in every way that we need to be resourced to, to have the greatest impact we could have in the city and among the nations, God. Lord, that you would give us anything and everything that we need in Jesus' name. 